Why is there so much evil in a world that is supposed to be God's kingdom? I think every Christian has asked this question at some point in their their lives. If you haven't asked it, then you really ought to. It's an important question. Atheists seize on this quite a lot. They argue that the presence of evil in the world precludes the possibility of there being an all-loving and all-powerful God. And for the sake of argument, they entertain the idea of there being a God, even though they don't believe that. And the argument goes something like this. They say, either... God is good, but not all-powerful. That means God wants to put a stop to all the evil in the world, but he just can't do it. He doesn't have the power to do it. Or God is powerful, but not good. That is to say, he could put a stop to the evil in the world, but he doesn't want to. Maybe he rather enjoys it. Perhaps he's malevolent and capricious. Uh, So the logic is, if there was a God who is all-good and all-powerful there would be no evil. You may have heard this argument before, or perhaps some form of it has occurred to you. Well, the parable of the weeds uh, goes a long way to addressing this dilemma. But before we go on, we need to be clear that this parable only deals with human evil. It says nothing about evil things that are not caused by humans. It says nothing about natural disasters, tsunami, drought, bushfires, earthquake, volcanic eruptions. It says nothing about illness and disease, bone cancer, Alzheimer's, multiple sclerosis. It says nothing about parasites, worms and ticks and all those horrible things that can get inside our bodies and do so much harm. So evil is a broad subject and today we're looking specifically at human evil. However, I would argue that most of the evil and suffering in the world, particularly in the modern world, is caused by human beings. For example, the people who suffer most from natural disasters and preventable diseases are the poor. And vast swathes of people live in poverty because of greed, corruption, and apathy. In other words, we have the means to prevent most of the evil in the world, but we don't. And I guess in Jesus' day, people were asking, why doesn't God destroy those evil people who are responsible for so much needless pain and suffering? Why doesn't God just destroy those people who are so clearly opposed to his kingdom? So Jesus told the parable of the weeds. And we just heard it, but I want to read the main part of it again, because it's very important that we hear this as Jesus speaking. These are Jesus' words. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, He answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And Jesus explained very clearly what all this means. The field is the world. The one who sows the wheat is the Son of Man. It's Jesus, God. And there are two types of 
people in the world. There is wheat and there is weeds. Those who belong to Jesus' kingdom and those who do not. And those who don't belong to Jesus' kingdom, Jesus says uh, they belong to the evil one, the devil. Now, a lot of people, a lot of Christians even, struggle to believe that there even is a devil, and that's uh, because he's so often betrayed as a little red man with horns and a pitchfork, which is unbelievable and unbiblical. But the devil is mentioned 29 times in the Gospels, 25 of those times by Jesus himself. And Jesus says that it's the devil who has corrupted this world, who has sown the seeds of evil. But the point of this parable is that even though evil has been allowed to persist, at the end of the age, when Jesus returns, there will be a separation. Those who belong to the evil one will be destroyed, and those who belong to Jesus will, Jesus says, shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Now, I think it's fair to say that we live in a culture that really struggles with this. To many people, the idea of being destroyed for not following Jesus is outrageous. It's unacceptable. Uh, Within some parts of the church, universalism is quite a prevalent teaching. That is the uh, belief that everyone will eventually be saved. Everyone will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. But you can't get to that from Jesus' teaching. You can't get to that from this parable or many of the other things that Jesus said and taught. It's simply not what Jesus said. And I guess for a lot of people, the closest they can get to this is thinking, well, I can imagine the really evil people being destroyed. Serial killers, paedophiles, evil dictators, but surely not the majority. But according to Jesus, there are people of the kingdom and there are people of the evil one. That's it. We would like there to be a third category for the good person who never did anyone any harm. But that person is actually a figment of our imagination, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But notice Jesus didn't say that the wheat represents good people and the evil, uh, sorry, and the weeds represent evil people. Jesus talked about those who belong to the kingdom and those who belong to the evil one. We don't belong to Jesus' kingdom because we are good. We only have to take a long, hard look at ourselves, and we know that we're not good. We belong to the kingdom because we have accepted the free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. And we receive that gift by putting our hope and our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ. And the gift is offered because God loves us. God loves you. God loves every part of his creation. Destruction is not what God wants for anyone. But still we might ask, well, why does God allow evil to persist? Why doesn't he fulfill his promise and do away with evil? Well, 2 Peter 3 verse 9 can help us here. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The world continues as it is for the time being because God wants to give as many people as possible the opportunity to be saved. 
to turn away from their sin, to repent, to turn back to God. Jesus doesn't reject anyone. Jesus doesn't reject anyone. But it's a sad fact that many reject Jesus. And Jesus allows us to reject him. He prizes our free will so much that he will not force us to take the gift that he offers. But one day Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. The wheat and the weeds will be separated. Their eternal destiny is not the same. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote about this in the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, He describes this moment uh, in the book, The Last Battle, which is the last book in the series. Uh, This is what he wrote. And at last, out of the shadow of the trees, racing up the hill for dear life, by thousands and by millions came all kinds of creatures. But as they came right up to Aslan, and you remember that Aslan is the lion in this series that represents Jesus, As they came right up to Aslan, one or other of two things happened to each of them. They all looked straight in his face. I don't think they had any choice about that. And when some looked, the expression of their faces changed terribly. It was fear and hatred. And all the creatures who looked at Aslan in that way swerved to their right, his left, and disappeared into his huge black shadow, which streamed away to the left of the doorway. The children never saw them again. I don't know what became of them. But the others looked in the face of Aslan and loved him, though some of them were very frightened at the same time. And all of these came in at the door, in on Aslan's right. The world hates Jesus. And some will only realize, I think, that they hate Jesus when they meet him face to face. It is those who hate Jesus who belong to the evil one. And it is those who love Jesus who belong to his kingdom. But there is no middle ground. Uh, There's no neutral position here. If someone thinks that they've taken a neutral position, well, I don't hate Jesus, but I don't love Jesus. I'm kind of neutral. I don't really care. When they meet Jesus, they will realize that they have, in fact, hated him. So our original question was, why is there so much evil in a world that is supposed to be God's kingdom, to which we might reply that evil will eventually be destroyed. But that invites the next question, which is, if God is going to destroy evil, why not destroy it now and be done with it? Before we get into that, it's worth pointing out that when we talk about good and evil, we are assuming that there is an absolute moral law. In other words, uh, morality is not just a matter of personal opinion. You know, if you believe that murder and slavery and rape and genocide and adultery are wrong and that they are wrong for all people at all times and in all places, then you believe in an absolute moral law, a universal moral law that applies to everyone. But if there's a moral law, There must be a moral law giver who is not tied to any particular time or place or people group or culture. And the only person who could lay down such a moral law is God. God has given us a moral law because there is such a thing as good and there is such a thing as evil. And God gives us the freedom to choose between the two. 
Now, as Christians, and I think for most non-Christians too, we understand that the greatest good, the ultimate good, is love. But you cannot have love without the freedom not to love. We all know that you can't force another person to love you. They've got to choose to love you. Without free will, there can be no love. So the greatest gift that God has given us is the ability to choose love, to choose him. But that leaves open the possibility of rejecting love and rejecting God. It also leaves open the possibility of embracing evil, which is really just the opposite side of the same coin. So the dilemma is this. God cannot eradicate evil without eradicating free will, which in turn eradicates the possibility to love. So when we say God should put a stop to evil, what do we mean by that? Do we mean that God should only stop what we consider to be the worst kinds of evil? Murder, slavery, rape, genocide. And how does God do that? Does he destroy the would-be murderer? Well, then God might destroy a person that would have one day given their life to him. That would be like rooting out the wheat with the weeds. Or does he simply just stop them so that they can't wield the knife or fire the weapon, kind of like suspending their free will just for that instant. I suppose God could do that every time they're on the verge of doing something really bad. But wouldn't they still be just as guilty? I mean, after all, they would have wanted to kill the person. They would have tried to kill the person. It's just that they were physically stopped. They couldn't do it. They'd be just as guilty. You see, it starts to get complicated, doesn't it? I wonder how many acts of free will God would have to interfere with just to stop what you and I might consider to be the worst kinds of evil. And who gets to decide what's really bad anyway? Is it us or is it God? Because if it's God, we ought to remember these words from Jesus. You have heard that it was said, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Have you ever got angry with someone? How does God prevent us from getting angry? What does he take control of our minds, take control of our thoughts, force us not to have those angry thoughts? And then again, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Have you ever had a lustful thought? Again, how does God prevent that? Does he have to suspend our free will every time we're on the verge of having a thought like that? When we long to do something that is evil, even if we don't do it, we're still guilty. That's what Jesus says. We're still sinful. So what if God did override our free will every time we were going to do something really bad? What then? Uh, well, then we'd live in a world where we would only experience what we might consider to be low-grade evil. No one would even be able to conceive of such a thing as murder. No one would have any idea what a murder was. And so murder and a whole load of other sins that we might rank up there among the, uh, among the worst would fall off the top of the list. And then other, what we might think are lesser sins, would come up to take their place at the top of the list. 
And then we'd be asking, why does God allow lying, evil thoughts, jealousy, pride, and all the rest of it? Not that I think those sins are low-grade evil, but I'm sure that there are people who have put them in that category. You see, it's very difficult, isn't it? For God either deals with all evil, or else he has to let it continue for the time being. It's complicated. When we ask God to stop evil, we're actually asking for a very different sort of a world, a world that we wouldn't even recognize, one where we're not free to make our own decisions for good or for ill. And of course, the greatest evil in the world is our refusal to love our creator. And if we want a world where there is love, then that is an unpreventable evil, because if you take away free will, there can be no love. But the free will that allows us to love also allows us to reject our creator. Either we have free will and all that goes with it, or we don't. There is no in-between. I don't know about you, but I'm very thankful that we have the freedom to choose, because otherwise we'd just be like mindless robots, puppets. And God allows those who love him and those who are in rebellion against him to exist together, the wheat and the weeds. God allows evil to persist. But Jesus' parable points forwards to the end of time as we know it. The wheat and the weeds will be separated. Our eternal destiny depends on our response to Jesus in this life. But this is a wonderful thing because we have the assurance that justice will be done and no one, no one will be able to say, I've been unfairly treated. The final judgment followed by eternity gives us at least in part a solution to the problem of evil. Without a final judgment, there can be no solution. The, the person who refuses to love God uh, will face no consequences for their appalling decision. The person who does evil things their whole life and never gets brought to justice will just get away with it. Good is real, and evil is real, and the human heart is able to discern between the two. Uh, and we expect evil to have consequences. If it didn't, no one would believe that evil is evil. And without an eternal perspective, there can be no uh, solution to the problem of evil. There would be no chance of recompense for the oppressed, the exploited, the persecuted, the abused, the mistreated. Eternity in a renewed and restored creation with God in a world where there is no sin or evil or pain or suffering is able to bring ultimate justice. It's able to redress the balance. It's able to right the wrongs. But let's remember, if we are wheat, if we are wheat, it's because of Jesus' goodness, not ours. If we belong to the kingdom, it's because we have accepted the reality that we are sinful and we can do nothing to help ourselves. Jesus has died for our sins upon the cross and we receive Jesus into our lives as our Lord and Savior. If we are weeds, it's not because Jesus has rejected us. It's because we have rejected Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.4 says that God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. But he will not 
override our free will. He will not force us into that position. He longs for us to turn to him, but he won't force us. That's not how God works. Why is there so much evil in a world that is supposed to be God's kingdom? Well, in large part, because God prizes our free will so much. And that is because without it, there can be no love. And God has created a world uh, that has the capacity to be filled with his love. And also, God wants to give us every opportunity to turn to him. God longs for everyone to turn to him, to repent of their sin, to receive the free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. That is why the wheat and the weeds are being allowed to grow together for the time being. But it will not always be that way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, when we start looking at uh, what your son Jesus actually said, particularly some of these parables, it's really challenging. It challenges the cultural norms of our time. It challenges the 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 uh, the, the way of thinking uh, that we're that we're so used to, so accustomed to. But Lord, we can see that. You know, evil is prevalent in the world, but we can also see that you have done and are doing something about it. That there will be uh, a separation, that evil will be destroyed. But we pray, Father, that this also will wake us up to the fact that the eternal destiny of everyone in this world is not the same. Uh, which really gives us the impetus, the motivation to get out there and tell people the good news of Jesus. So they can hear this wonderful news that all they need to do is put their trust and their hope in Jesus and they can be saved. Father, we pray that we'll have a, a sense of urgency about this as we proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.